as Frank said, step back and really look at the big picture, there are so many advantages to buying real estate properly. And again, do you need your own money to buy a piece of real estate? No. So without using your own money, you can get paid five, six, seven ways. Welcome to the Big Fat Real Estate Checks Podcast with Marco Kozlowski, where we help investors like you get the knowledge and skills you need to replace your J-O-B with passive cash flow for life. Hey everyone, welcome to another hopefully extremely exciting episode of real estate, how you can make money at it, and how you are able to patch in and tap in to other people's money, having access to money to make massive cash flow for the rest of your life to take care of you and your family so you never have to work again. And I'm joined today only with Frank Galluccio out of Toronto. Gabriel is on vacation and uh, Frank, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing the five to seven ways that you can get paid on one piece of real estate. So when you work right now, you're nine to five, or you're J-O-B, or just over broke, you are getting paid one time for working once. And of course, you're being paid under wholesale prices for your time. And the beauty of real estate is once you start working it and understanding it well, you can work once and get paid five to seven times over and over and over and over again. And Frank and I are going to be discussing those five to seven times. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. This is Frank. Yeah, thank you for that uh, welcome. Just Frank is on the line here, but uh, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gabe is on vacation, but that's all good. He deserves it. It's good. He's spending time with family, and that's what it's about. Uh, it, it's spending time with family, doing what you want, when you want, and and that's the neat part about this business, at least, that I've been you know, wreaking the rewards as, as well, just because of you, Marco. Thank you. Uh, for that, but um, uh, yeah, these the seven, the five to seven ways, and I just want to take a step back before we deep dive into that. I know when I first got started, or at least when I thought I wanted to get started with my wife, people only think of one way, and they can't even fan them seven. I know when you mentioned that first, it's like, what the hell is this guy talking about? You can get paid five to seven ways. So put that in perspective, guys. You work once, all right, and get paid five to seven ways continuously. Uh, that's just, it, it's mind-blowing, and, and I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy this episode as we deep dive. Well, not deep dive, but we'll we'll touch on each one, and it really opens your eyes. I think for 99% of the population, they don't know all these, if they even exist, and usually one of them just looks at the one thing. I know in Toronto, we just look at one, and if that one source of income or, or way to get paid gets affected by market or whatever, you're kind of screwed. You just put all your chips on black, and red showed up. Well, what is that way, Frank, that uh, most people like in Toronto or people that do speculate in real estate, I won't say invest because that's more speculation when you're buying something and hoping the market goes up or of course real estate is going to go up because it's never gone down, which is ridiculous. It goes up and down constantly. So Frank, what's the one way that most people, specifically you, when you first got started, when you started the show, you were like, yeah, when I first got started with my wife, I'm like, whoa, 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 Frank, this is a family show, so calm down. But when you first started real estate with your wife, <laughs> what, is it, what is it that you, uh, that you thought, you know, what was your mindset in order to buy real estate at that time? All right. Yeah, thank you for reminding me what podcast we're on. That's Frank After Dark. Um, <laughs> after it's only for members hours, only, me and my wife. <laughs> yes. After hours. Yeah, you know what? Most of us and myself, especially in Toronto, they buy properties for the only mere hope 
or speculation or forecast, like a meteorologist, they forecast for market appreciation. So they're, they're hoping, they look at history, like Toronto's a hot market, it's like a New York market, an LA market, San Diego and San Francisco. Yes, the, the returns are, the, the appreciation is strong, but I don't know about you guys, but Marco, I like you say, my crystal ball broke a long time ago. Actually, I never even owned one. I had an eight ball, uh, you know, the little eight ball where you shake and it says, is, is, the, is the market going to go up or down? Maybe. It's a like, magic eight mean? ball, a magic eight ball, not an eight ball, because that's something else altogether. So speculating, and so a lot of people are spending a lot of money, you know, it's not cheap to buy anything in Toronto for that matter. And they buy it hoping that the market is, the market itself is going to appreciate. So the word is market appreciation uh, is going to appreciate, you know, 10, 12%. That's what, what Toronto has been doing. Actually, a few years ago, it's been doing in the twenties, but then the government intervened and that went all the way down. It's suppressed. And now with COVID, again, it's suppressed. So you don't know over the course of 10, 20 years. So you're banking your money and you're praying that in 10, 15, 20 years that you made that property that you bought is worth more than what you purchased it. But in the end, they're not making any money because like I said, it's more expensive. The rents barely cover the mortgage and they have literally a 0.5% spread. So if something goes bad, they're already in the negative. They're already in, in the red, which is not a good thing. So they speculate like a meteorologist, and you know, I, last time I checked, actually, you know, just yesterday, I just checked my iPhone. I wanted to go in the pool. I, I saw on the iPhone for yesterday, there was a, a sun, a cloud, a lightning bolt, and rain. Like, what, what does that even mean? <laughs> like all three, all four elements. And that's speculating in the market. And most people, I say 95%, and I put myself in that pot as well before, speculate on the market and do what other people do and say, yes, it's going to go up. It's real estate. It's always going to go up. Yes, it will go up, but they do have peaks and valleys, and it may take you much, much longer to get there. And it's not rewarding you. And not for anything. I love my kids. I have three kids. But when you do something like that, especially in Toronto, these type of markets, and you rely on market appreciation, you're not reaping the rewards. You can't do what you want to do. There's no financial freedom until you liquidate, until you crystallize it 10, 15, 20 years down the road. But fuck that. I don't want to wait that long. Uh, I love my kids. I don't want, you know, I'm, I'm doing it for them too, but I want to do it for me too. Help yourself first so you can help others. Absolutely. So many people buy um, assets uh, hoping it goes up and the cash flow doesn't, isn't there at all, which is, you know, we've touched appreciation, um, which is number one, market appreciation specifically. So if you want to take mental notes or write, write it down, number one is market appreciation, which is definitely a way to get paid because the market eventually will go up and take care of you if, you know, if you're buying at the right cycle. Uh, number two is the cash flow. Uh, if there's no cash flow, it's going to be very difficult for you to hold on to the property. In sane markets, like in Australia, for example, there's something called uh, negative gearing. For those of you that don't know what negative gearing is, is when you lose money on a property, you can offset that on your taxes. And Australians love it. Never understood it. Because how are you going to buy 100 properties losing money on every single one? And deduct that on your taxes. Unless you make a shite kind of money, it's going to be very difficult for you to sustain that. That's going to be a rich person's game. The way that I approach real estate, it's anyone's game. I don't care if you have millions of dollars or zero dollars or oh, billions of dollars. No matter where you are on the spectrum, anyone can play the game that I'm putting to the table. Don't need money, don't need credit, just need to have access to the money, which is asset-based lending, and you need to have the knowledge in order to find or create these deals I should say, because we don't find them, we create them. So you can plug those two things together and buy things correctly, never using your own money or credit. 
as discussed in, in multiple previous episodes. Anywho, cash flow. Frank, uh, if you were to buy a property today in Toronto, I know that, again, it's, it's almost unbelievable how expensive real estate is in Toronto, considering A, it's Canada. You know what? Two is, you know, for, I don't know, uh, a one bedroom, one bath condo maybe downtown is over a million bucks, easy. I, I Before, think. Yeah. Well, actually, you're very close. Actually, a studio. So you don't have a separate bedroom. Oh, you don't have a bedroom even. Unless you put a sheet up, I guess you can have a mischief bedroom. But a studio condo in downtown Toronto right now, before breaking ground, is eight hundred thousand. Eight hundred thousand. Eight hundred before breaking ground. As soon as they break ground, yes, you're in the million. Okay. So let's call it a million bucks. Your taxes on that would be at least five six thousand dollars a year. At least I'm assuming. Well, one hundred percent downtown. Yes, with all the amenities right. and all that. And then you've got you know insurance and taxes and which I've just said maintenance. So I'm trying to do the math in my head. So I, I sound a lot smarter than I am. But you, your rent would be what about twenty five three thousand dollars a month tops. About there, yes. Because again, you're going to outreach. Yeah, it, it's anywhere from two to maybe thirty five hundred. All right. So let's do mid range of twenty. Let's call it three thousand. Just your well positioned and you've got this property and it's three thousand dollars a month in rent. Three thousand bucks a month in rent times twelve months is thirty six thousand. Thirty six thousand, you're not keeping all of it because there's taxes, insurance, maintenance, management. Let's say you, you get really lucky and you keep twenty thousand dollars of it, all right, which is very aggressive, even twenty five thousand. Your mortgage on a million dollar property is going to cost you a lot more than $25,000 a year. That's 2.5% return. That's just the mortgage interest alone is going to cover, won't even cover your, your the, the money that's coming in. So you're 100% going to be losing money the day that you walk into that property. Now that's if you have absolutely no money down at all. If you have money down, that means that whatever money that you put down, which would be at least 20%, that's $200,000 that you put down won't even be taken care of. So if you're borrowing that from a line of credit or you're, you've saved up that money, you're banking, you have to have appreciation in order for you to make any money. And if there's no appreciation or there's a sideways market or even you lose money and let's say the market loses 10%, you've lost hundred grand immediately because the bank is taken care of after because they're in first position. You've That $200,000, it went from a million dollar value to a $900,000 value. Then you have a real estate agent, which is another 5% commission where that's another $50,000 gone immediately. So you put in two hundred, a small shift in the market, you're down to fifty grand, and you made no money at all. In fact, you've lost money every single month. So it's a very risky enterprise with no cash flow being involved. That's a long story just to get to the end, but most people don't buy thinking of the cash flow from the day they buy it. In fact, I think most people buy having the, the okayness, the come to Jesus meeting with themselves saying, look, I won't make any money for the first few years, but it's paying itself off. And through amortization, which is another way of, of getting paid, that's the third way where your tenants are paying things off and you're just okay with it. But why? Why not buy it with cash flow from the day you start, which is my approach and what Frank has learned and what I'm helping hundreds of people learn on a, on a monthly basis uh, how to buy real estate and cash flowing positive the second you buy the property. In fact, getting not only getting a check the day you close of at least thirty five hundred to two, you know five grand the day you close on a property, plus getting cash flow from the second that you buy it, and uh, that's that's not possible 
in Canada, one of the reasons I don't do business in Canada, I'm sure it is, I'm sure there are opportunities, but it would take you a very long time to create those opportunities. And it would take you a fraction of that time in the US to do that because there are so many assets that are for sale or so many people that need help that we can we can help them with it. Right, Frank? No, you're absolutely correct. Well, I'll touch upon what you just said. Yes, most people are one-trick ponies. They're looking at that market appreciation and they know actually going in, Marco, that they're going to be losing money that first year with the realtor costs and all that. They know they're going to lose, but they're banking on, again, that forecast. Remember the iPhone forecast, the weather, that it's going to be a sunny day at the end of you know that 15, 20 years or whatever. And if it doesn't, then sadly, you know, there's opportunity costs. Like you said, we even forgot about that. You mentioned it, $200,000 down that could be making you money is not making you money. So you have to look at also the opportunity cost that you're missing out. And people don't just put all that together. And then if you really think about it, look at it on paper. And if you draw it out, you're like, okay, I'm speculating. I'm doing this. I'm losing money the first year, barely breaking even on my rent. If anything breaks, I'm going to lose that month or a couple of months, depending what breaks that needs repairing. And you look at it from a perspective, you're like, yeah, why am I doing this? Honestly, you're just better off in another asset class where you're better off putting you know, money in a bank and, and earning 3% or 2% if you want that safe haven. But anyways, people do it and that's what it is. People know what they know. People don't know what they don't know. Uh, but And then going back with the amortization is, yes, as tenants pay monthly, a portion of that goes towards obviously your mortgage and your mortgage is split up into two buckets. One's called interest where the bank pockets and the other is the principal. And I don't think it's any different in the States where, you know, when you get a new mortgage, your first trimester or whatever you want to call it is typically more money that you make, more of your debt service goes towards the interest rather than the principal. And then your second trimester when it's, you know, it's it's almost like a teenager, a young lad mortgage, it's about half and half, you know, half of your monthly payment or your mortgage payment will go towards interest and half will go towards principal. And then in your third trimester, that's where most of your payment will go towards the principal uh, portion. And that's what we call amortization. So as you keep that asset, you're building equity over the years. You're building more equity because your tenants typically will be paying and that money is allocated to the mortgage, which reduces your arrears with them or your mortgage amount with them. So that's called amortization. That's another way you get paid. Now, it's not crystallized, of course, and I guess we can get into that next. It's not crystallized till you sell or till you do something else. And which is uh, which is what? Tell us, Frank. Tell us. Tell you, us. You, you, ah, suspense. It's refi. Actually, before I wanted to get into the refi, sorry. Actually, no, we can get into the refi. That's fine. So as your tenants are paying monthly and your mortgage keeps going down, now you just built up equity over the years, right? And another way of getting paid, and again, in Marco's system, and it doesn't take 10, 15, 20 years. It doesn't take your 30 years to do this. It takes a few short years, which actually I wanted to get into something else before the refi, but which is the force appreciation, Marco. So you got market appreciation where the market goes and you're speculating. You got your monthly cash flow. Okay, everyone got that? And then if you're writing notes down, then you got your amortization where your mortgage principal keeps going lower. But then you got what's called force appreciation. So Marco, in your teachings and your, you know, your process is you teach others how to obviously market and fish for and, and create deals with equity built in. And then once you get the property, you do something with it. You don't just sit on your fingers and your hands and, and you just wait like everyone else does for 20, 30 years because you, you don't have to wait. 
So what you do is we do what's called forced appreciation. We optimize. And that can mean anything. It doesn't mean that you have to put CapEx into it. It may mean that you have to spruce it up, put some paint or whatever, maybe new floors. Or it may just mean that you have to just replace the manager that's there. Uh, maybe the manager that's there is is not you know picking up their pants and pulling their weight. They're just lazy. Uh, so just changing that management to fill the occupancy, to have long-term tenants considered optimization. Raising uh, the rents. Raising the rents slightly. Uh, you know, if you have a building of 10, 15 units, raising the rents by 50 bucks, 25, 30, it makes a huge deal at the end. So these are all called forced appreciation. So that would be your fourth. So well, got- let's use numbers on this so everyone can okay. really understand. So let's say you have a 100 unit complex and you raise the rent 25 bucks on average. All right. You have some empty units here, empty units there. And we've just done $25 across the board on average an increase by doing very small things. Just 25 bucks. No one's going to leave over 25 bucks. 25 bucks times 100 is $2,500 a month. 2500 bucks a month times 12 is how much? It's about $30,000. $30, now, of that $30,000, we've already paid our taxes, we've already paid our insurance, we've already paid management. Basically, it's $30,000 directly in the bottom line. Now, $30,000 doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a year by just increasing 25 bucks. But when you're, let's say that this thing is worth, it's a 10 cap market or someone is expecting a 10% return. That $30,000 is $300,000 of equity that we just added to the property. Now, in most cases, it's not going to be an eight cap market. I'm sorry, a 10 cap market. It'll probably be a seven or eight cap market, which is almost $400,000 plus between just under to just over $400,000. And if you're refinancing, which Frank just touched on for a very second before he went into into this topic, is $400,000 when you're refinancing at, let's say, 70%, that's four times 70% because we can refinance at least 70% of whatever's cooking uh, from an equity perspective. That's almost $300,000 in our pocket of cash. So $25,000 is actually $300,000 in cash if you do things correctly. So I'll say this again, 25 bucks on average, you just a, a small increase of 100 units. That's 2,500 bucks a month times 12 that's $30,000 a year, $30,000 of pure profit. That $30,000 turns into $300,000. And if it's a 10 cap market, we're going to pull up about 200,000. If it's more than a 10 cap market, it's which means the supply and demand, that's basically the cap rate that people are wanting to buy things for in that specific area. I covered this on a, on a previous episode. But the more compressed the cap rate on that market is, the more cash you're going to be able to pull out. That's just by doing small, very, very small incremental increases that won't affect your tenant base at all, won't spook them, won't scare them. And in some cases, you can not just do $25, you can do hundreds of dollars if you do things right. If you like rub riders where you're, you're giving the utilities back to the, uh, the tenants, you can really do some damage as far as raising the rents and optimizing, as, as Frank said, really aggressively over time. You could do this over two years. It doesn't have to be done overnight. But you, know, you can add millions of dollars of value to your building in a very short period of time. And I mean short being within three years. That's a very short period of time. If you look at how long most people take to save a million dollars or to have a million dollars of net worth, it, t- it doesn't take them two to three years, but you can do that on the right building. It, specifically, if you bought it on top of that for the right price, which is all we do, you're really compounding not only built-in equity for buying it right, but 
optimizing it to a higher value by forcing appreciation that is riding on top of market appreciation. So you're getting paid, you know, it's stacking over and on top of each other, which is extremely exciting. So Marco, it's Frank here again. No, uh, just on that note with where we're talking about optimization, I know a lot of people, I, my, you know, my, my own inner circle here up in Toronto, I like a lot of people say, well, I'm sitting on my nest egg. I got, you know, X amount of equity in my home. Again, it means nothing that you have X amount of equity in your home. And they're banking, they're literally banking on that for the retirement, which is scary. Because, like I said before, you know, market fluctuation, what if it's not worth a million dollars or 1.5 in 20 years? What if something catastrophic happens or whatever the case is and it's worth less? And the banks right now are not even lending out on long term because the prime mortgage rate is low. So if you want to tap into your equity, you can't. So in this, you know, you optimize the property two, three years, do some changes, whether, you know, we mentioned a few things that there's a lot more things you can do to increase the value. So that's the forced appreciation part. And once you do that and you season it, you know, for a period of time. So seasoning means, you know, all four seasons. So at least 12 months, you have it stable, tenants are paying, you're showing that income. Then you can go to a financial institution and say, hey, man, this is my property. I'm looking to refi. So what are they going to do? They're going to look at the value. And Marco just gave you an example. They're going to look at the value. They're going to say, okay, well, it's worth roughly around in this market, X amount. And typically, they'll give you anywhere from 70 to you know as high as 85% of that. And when you get that money out, so when you go and get a refinance, you pull that money out, right? You pay your original mortgage off, right? And then you're left over with the residual, with extra income. And the neat part of the refi is you don't pay taxes on the additional income. You don't pay taxes. So when you go to the bank and get a line of credit or whatever, do you pay taxes on a loan? No. So it's tax-free money that you can do what you want. And who's paying for that? Your tenants. Your tenants are paying for the new mortgage at a lower interest rate and a long-term. And I got to say for our fellow Canadians and uh, other people outside of the USA, it's unfair what our governments are doing <laughs> because in Canada, when you get a mortgage, even if it's a 25, 30 or whatever your amortization, I always have to go see my branch manager every three to five years and renew it, and they give me a new rate, and then they stick me on a mint cost or whatever. In the States, once you get a mortgage, whether it's for 20, 25, 30, 35, I don't even know what they go to. Maybe they go to 40 years of amortization. You never have to walk a step foot into that bank again. It just matures after that period, which is the neat part. So when you refinance and you get a 30-year mortgage, Good riddance, goodbye. You don't have to see that manager again. Your tenants are paying for that new mortgage. And you have that excess cash, which is tax-free. So the IRS or any other government agency is not going to put their, their hands on it. That's you know for you to do whatever you want to do. You know, Can you go spend it and go to Vegas, like Marco says, and have a great party? Yes. Or you can reinvest it, which is, again, make your money work for yourself. And uh, let's just use a real number on that. So if you were to buy something at a million bucks, you've optimized it, and now the bank says, okay, it's now worth 1.5, and we're going to give you 1.1. So you still have equity in the property, they still give you 1.1 million, and you pay off the old million-dollar mortgage from asset-based lenders, and now you have a very low-rated, usually under 5%, of 1.1, and now you are looking at $100,000 in your pocket. That's tax-free, by the way. So I've seen $100,000, $500,000, million, over seven-figure on a refi. The bigger the value of the asset is, the more you can pull out. It's very exciting. And what do you do with that cash? Yes, as Frank said, you go to Vegas and bet it all in black. Nope. 
hookers and blow? Nope. Uh, take that money and you know reinvest it into something that's going to make you a very high return. And it's, again, tax-free cash. And if you can make a 10, 11, 12, 13% money on that money, you're getting paid twice now on that refinance money. You know, Take some and have fun with it, sure. I generally like to take 10%, call that fun money. You should pay yourself and have always some fun. Too many people are working so hard and not having fun with their life. So you should take whatever 10% of whatever you make, you should just blow it on shit you don't even need just because you should have fun with money. I think it's important. But anyway, that's that's another conversation for another day. You should always have some fun with, with the, the shit you're getting. Anyway, so so far, let's, let's discuss what we've covered. So we have uh, the cash flow. Uh, we have market appreciation. We just covered forced appreciation. We covered amortization. Amortize. And we have covered... Refi. Refinance. And there's depreciation, which we have not covered yet which is a gift from the IRS. Even if you're Canadian, it doesn't matter. We're buying properties in the U.S., meaning that we are subject to U.S. tax law. And depreciation is a marvelous thing. One of the reasons why Donald Trump doesn't pay any taxes is he owns billions of dollars in real estate, which means that he doesn't have to pay taxes for the first $200 million or so that he makes because of depreciation schedules. $200 million before you have to pay a dollar in tax. And the tax laws were written by the rich for the rich. And you can play by the rich rules. You just have to start behaving in that arena. That behavior will allow you to get those depreciation schedules as well by owning real estate. And what that basically means is the IRS says, well, if you buy an apartment building, a mobile home park, a hotel, whatever that is, you can write off the building because it's technically losing value even though it's gaining in value. So... There's d- different depreciation schedules for different asset classes, but generally multifamily or a home or anything that people live in is t- divided by 27.5. So if you have a million dollars of property, excluding the land, you can't count the land, but the actual building itself, let's say it's worth a million, you're going to get 27, take that million divided by 27.5, and it's $36,363.36. And just threes and sixes over and over again of tax deduction. So it's around $36,000 a million that you don't have to pay. So your first $36,000 of income on that property is going to be tax-free. So it's pretty exciting. So the more property you own, every year for 27 and a half years. And then when you sell it, you can then take that cash and it starts all over again. So every time you sell it, you can start that schedule all the way over again and just keep doing that. Recycle, recycle, recycle. And when you die, guess what? That depreciation schedule dies with you and your heirs will get it and they start the time start ticking, starts ticking with them. So it's very, very exciting in that if you own $5 million in real estate, that's five times 36,000, for example. You know, sorry, 3,600. 36,000, forgive me, 36,000. So you're looking at, um, you know, almost, it's a very, very exciting way to make a lot of money and never have to pay taxes legally, morally, and ethically because of depreciation schedules. So I'm sure Frank actually, his expertise is in tax. So I'm sure he can speak on that, but it's an absolutely fabulous thing. So if you are making, if you're paying, let's say $50,000 in tax, the solution to paying less tax is actually buy real estate to offset the tax that you're making. So it flows through as a loss. And guess what? You're keeping more money as a, you're not doing anything more. You're just paying less tax. And it's not how much money you make that matters. It's how much you keep that counts. 
So integrating real estate into your existing tax structure allows you to pay less tax. So you could be paying right now $36,000 a year in taxes, add real estate to your portfolio and instantly have a property that's actually making you money and you're still actually keeping more. You're making $36,000 more just by owning the piece of real estate that takes care of you. Anyway, Frank, I'm sure yeah. you can explain it better than I just did. But Well, just to make it clear, it's a paper loss, guy. It's not a crystallized loss that you're actually you know, digging into your pocket saying, okay, I owe this money. So if you're making, if you made 50000 and you have a year or 100000 a year, and out of all your properties, just say you have three, four properties, with all the depreciation you have, it's showing depreciation of 130. So if you made 100 in real life, you made 100000 at the end of the day, end of the 12 months, you have $100,000 in your pocket. What is it? Uncle Sam wants a piece of that. So instead of owing whatever taxes on that, and you have other properties to do depreciation, and just say your depreciation is, I don't know, you add it up, it's 130. On your taxes, it's going to show that you're in the red 30,000, but you're not really in the red 30,000. You made 100. It's just for tax purposes, you are in, in the red zone for uh, for 30,000 because you have that depreciation, which is unfair because in Canada, we don't have that. We can't write off our houses. We can't write off our real estate. Yes, we have business expenses and things like that, capital gains and capital losses, but nothing like the States, which is, again, another reason I was gravitated, my wife was gravitated to doing real estate in the USA for those advantages. And if you got to know them, and I didn't know them, again, we just went through five different ways to make money when little old me back then, you know, five, just a little five years ago, just five years ago, I, I was thinking like the night that the masses, the 95%, you're only making money on the appreciation. We'll wait to get paid. We'll wait till we're like, you know, no teeth and we're just walking and we're old and we're wrinkly and, and then reek the rewards. Not for anything, but idea of fun is not feeding pigeons, you know, when I'm older on the, on the bench. So, so well, what if I like I, feeding I, pigeons, Frank? What if I like that? Well, there's nothing wrong with feeding the pigeons, but you know, it's just, I don't want to be that person. <laughs> You know, like, uh, well, some people like feeding pigeons. It is what it is. All right, so let's wrap this up. So at the beginning, we promised at least five to seven ways of making money in real estate on the one transaction. So we've covered cash flow, covered appreciation. We've covered market appreciation, forced appreciation. So there's two different kinds. There's depreciation, which we just covered with taxes. There's amortization, where your tenants are paying things for you. The cash flow, I think, I don't know if I've counted yeah, the that The refi twice. you mentioned, the, the refi. The refinance, which is six, I think. And is there a seventh? There is a seventh, actually, because you don't have to refi. Even after you refi, remember, the bank's not giving you 100%. And you know, even if you refi and they give you 70 or 75 or whatever, 80, you still have built-in equity. Well, what do you do with that extra equity? Well, can you not go to the bank and get what's called a line of credit on that equity and use that, again, for another reinvestment where you're making more money on it? So you get a line of credit, 3 4%, whatever, and make 12 on it. Make money work, and it's other people's money. It's the bank's money at this point. You're playing with the house. You're taking your money back when you refi. So if anyone gambles, I'm not a gambler, not condoning it. But if you go to the casino, you have 500 bucks, and you're winning. You take your 500 back, and you play with the house money. And that's when it really becomes fun, and that's what this is about. So the line of credit will be that seventh avenue to tap into the equity and make it work for you. Don't just sit like my friends and some of the people I know say, oh, I'm sitting on a nest egg. They're not doing anything with it. It means nothing. 
It's where you pay eight. off your house and everyone says, yeah, I'm how my house paid for. Well, that's even worse because if you get a lawsuit, they can take your house if it's paid for. It's terrifying. Yeah. We can go into asset protection on another episode, but there's also the sale, the, you know, the last and final one, you know, you've depreciated it to hell uh, and you need to sell it now. So you have all this cash. What are you going to do with it? Go reinvest into something else, start the whole cycle over again. So you're, there's so many ways to get paid. And there are actually more than the ones that we've discussed, but we're way out of time. We wanted to do a 15, 20-minute episode, and I think we're at four hours so far. Long-ass episode today, but I think it's worth it. And if you really, as Frank said, step back and really look at the big picture, there are so many advantages to buying real estate properly. And again, do you need your own money to buy a piece of real estate? No. So without using your own money, you can get paid five, six, seven ways. I don't know any business. If I were to buy stock, I have to have money to buy stock. Maybe I could use a line of credit to buy stock, but I'm then paying interest on money on stock that I'm not going to get paid through my through buying stock. Where real estate, if you buy it right, you are getting cash flow the day you're buying it. It's creating money the second that you're buying it if you do it properly. You're getting a tax deduction. You don't get that kind of that delight with stock. There's capital gains in stock that you wouldn't have in real estate. Totally different appreciation. You can write off the interest. There's a lot of write-offs that you can do in real estate that you can't do in, in a lot of other investment uh, vehicles. So without you know making this a three-hour episode, there are so many advantages to buying real estate, buying it correctly, getting educated on how to do things correctly, and following the right processes and procedures so you don't have to pay taxes morally, legally, and ethically, and just have a better life, a better quality of life. So you can not necessarily just make more, but keep more and have less stress and be have more abundance, more wealth, and be able to do more fun things in your life and have a net worth that's significant. So you can pass on this generational wealth to your family and your kids so they have a better life and better, you know, better opportunities than we did when we, you know, that's the whole point of being a parent, I think is to, you know, to help your kids have a better life than you had to. And that's why I'm here. Frank, I appreciate you very much. Any final words? You know what? Just take care of yourself so you can take care of others that you love first. So take care of yourself first. Don't forecast and have fun. That's the thing. Don't feed, well, feed the pigeons, but do something else as well. Lovely. It's all good. Lovely. Thank you, Frank. Appreciate you. Appreciate your listeners as well. I look forward to uh, seeing you on the very next episode where we're going to blow your mind. If you like this episode of Big Fat Real Estate Checks, then show some love by leaving a comment and a good rating. Also, as a thank you for tuning in today, we've got a special free gift. The journey to passive cash flow for a life starts by finding deals, and it's easier than you think. Simply go to getdealsbytuesday.com, enter your email address, and we'll send you a free quick start course called Deals by Tuesday. Even if it's 11 p.m. Monday night, this course will show you how to find discounted real estate deals by Tuesday. It's that fast and simple. Go to getdealsbytuesday.com and start your journey toward life-changing cash flow today. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode.